If you need help getting Social Security Disability Benefits, then this podcast is for you. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pull back the curtain on disability and reveal the secrets to winning I've learned over the past 25 plus years. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ginsberg and I'm a practicing Social Security Disability Lawyer. I want to help deserving claimants just like you win the benefits you deserve and not one penny less. Now, if you already know you need help today, go to ssdanswers.com for a free and confidential evaluation of your case. It takes just two minutes. That's ssdanswers.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Now, let's start the show. Hi, this is attorney Jonathan Ginsberg, and welcome to another episode of my Social Security Disability Podcast. Today, I'll be talking with attorney Carl Osterhout, about federal court appeals. Federal court is where you would win, you, you would end up if you lose your administrative law judge hearing and if you also lose the appeals council as well. Carl's practice is very different from mine and most hearing attorneys in that he spends most of his time working on behalf of clients who have lost at their hearings. Trial lawyers like me refer clients to attorneys like Carl because appeals work it's very different from trial work, and it's never good to dabble. I wanted to bring Carl to the podcast for two reasons. One, I get a lot of questions about the Appeals Council and about federal court, and who better to give us an overview than an appeals specialist like Carl Osterhout. Second, I want to share with you the types of issues that can support a successful appeal. In our conversation, Carl talks about problems he sees over and over and over, So if you do receive an unfavorable decision and you want to know what your options are, give this episode a listen. Now, here's my conversation with attorney Carl Osterhout. Um, I'd like to welcome Carl Osterhout to the podcast. And Carl is a social security disability attorney who focuses his practice primarily on appellate work. That would be the appeals council and federal court work. Uh, We've already done a podcast about the Appeals Council. Now I'd like to talk to him about uh, federal court work, federal court appeals. So, Carl, welcome uh, to the podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for having me, Jonathan. This has uh, been a pleasure. My pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, tell me a little bit about the federal court area of, of disability. Uh, I know that most people are familiar with they file an application for benefits. It goes to the state agency. If there's recon in their state, they file for reconsideration. Then they file for a hearing. Uh, that's where attorneys like me get involved. I'll represent folks at a hearing. Um, if they lose at the hearing or get an unfavorable decision, they will file an appeal to the Appeals Council. If that is not successful, they have, they have, they have the option of going to federal court. So tell me a little bit about what the standards are for federal court. What would make a successful federal court appeal? Let me just come in like just slightly ahead of that question, and then I'll answer it. Um, So I think, you know, for a claimant that's out there, the best way to think about this process is kind of like a ladder. And so, you know, the first rung is the initial application. Second rung is reconsideration. Third rung is the ALJ hearing. Fourth rung is the appeals council review that you just referred to, and then we're at uh, the fifth rung, uh, federal court. So if uh, uh, when I should say a claimant gets the notice from the appeals council that um, their request to review the social security judge's decision has been denied, one of the things that 
is in all of that information is the claimant's appeal rights. And in there, it explains that uh, from the date of that decision, in virtually every situation, you really have to read uh, the letter. Uh, but uh, for the sake of uh, keeping it simple, 99% of those notices say that the claimant has 60 days from the date of the Appeals Council notice plus the five-day grace period that they always give for mailing to file a federal court complaint uh, uh, regarding their, um, uh, the, the, the Social Security judge's denial of their case. Uh, in essence, what, at that point, what the claimant is doing is suing the Social Security Administration for uh, improperly denying them benefits. And let me ask you this, because obviously when you talk about federal court, that is pretty serious business. How does a claimant pay an attorney? Uh, what's, what's the fee structure in something like that? Well, it's just like uh, the fee structure in most ways uh, that, uh, uh, that the claimant already had with their administrative level attorney. And, and the biggest thing that everybody always wants to know is whether there's any fee up front. And no, there isn't. There never is. And, uh, and well, I, or I should say there never should be. Um, right. Uh, the fee is uh, 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 contingent on success. But it's actually even better than that. Um, because when an attorney like myself is successful in federal court, uh, against the Social Security Administration. In other words, if we're able to convince the uh, district court judge that the ALJ made some kind of error that requires Social Security to look at the case again, uh, we are able to file uh, our request for fees under a statute called the Equal Access to Justice Act. This is a law that was passed uh, during the Carter administration. Ironically, Carter didn't like it. It was the Republicans then who pitched this. Uh, and it basically uh, permits uh, like small people who have to go against a government agency to get uh, some adverse decision uh, overruled. So it's sort of trying to level the playing field of the, the poor, you know, regular Joe who has mm -hmm. to fight the government. Uh, so bottom line is under under this Equal Access to Justice Act, which we commonly in our world refer to EJA, uh, E-A-J-A, um, if uh, I'm successful in a federal court case, I make my application for fees under the EJA, and 95% of the time uh, that request is granted. And in fact, probably 70% of the time uh, there's a negotiated settlement between uh, our office and uh, and the government. Uh, they don't fight uh, paying something. Sometimes there's an issue about how much they have to pay, but but there's n almost never an objection to actually paying some fee. And so when we're paid for a federal court case uh, that we've won, it literally doesn't involve any money coming out of the claimant's pocket at all. Uh, the government pays them to pay us, in essence, uh, to fight the government. Interesting. Very interesting. And does a claimant have any role at all in a federal court appeal, or is it pretty much this is, uh, at the, this is really more of a legal issue that the claimant's not going to be testifying or presenting evidence? Uh, is that correct? 
That Yes, that's right. I mean, there is a role in the sense uh, – well, first off, of course, the claimant uh, always uh, has a role in the sense that uh, they have a stake in all of this, and, and, uh, and you know, some of our people here are spending a lot of their time, you know, just kind of keeping claimants up to date on the status of their cases and stuff. But right, but what you're saying is absolutely true. There is no – this isn't a case where you get another hearing in front of a different judge. Um, uh, like we talked about on the Appeals Council uh, uh, discussion that we uh, had a few moments ago, uh, the issue before uh, district court, in a weird kind of way, isn't even really about whether the claimant is disabled or not anymore. What the issue in a federal appeal is, and an Appeals Council appeal, is whether the ALJ, uh, whether the ALJ's decision to deny benefits is based upon a reasonable interpretation of the facts in the case and complies fully with the legal requirements that an ALJ has to follow when issuing decisions. So uh, kind of the way I explain this to clients, uh, my own clients, is to say that uh, a federal court is not a Monday morning quarterback uh, to sit there and just second guess everything that the ALJ did. If the ALJ uh, has a reasonable interpretation of the facts, or maybe another way to put it is, if two reasonable people could disagree about the outcome of uh, the factual determination in one of these cases, then the district court's job uh, is to uphold the uh, ALJ's decision because it's not their job, as I've said, to sort of just imply or uh, uh, impose their own view of the evidence. However, uh, what we are able to do successfully in a, in a fair percentage of these cases is show that the ALJ's interpretation of the record is not reasonable for a multitude of reasons. I'm sure you'll ask me about it in a minute or, and or that the ALJ did not uh, fully comply with the law. And that's how um, uh, a case can get remanded and a claimant can get another day in court. And, and, and as you as you predicted, uh, the next question is: What are some of the issues that would be potentially successful at a federal court appeal? Maybe well, the one everybody knows about uh, is uh, that an ALJ has an obligation, which I would argue is ongoing, even though there's been some rule changes, uh, to uh, uh, evaluate. Uh, the opinion evidence of record. In most cases, not all, but most cases, uh, doctors have chimed in. Uh, Social Security, for instance, has doctors uh, who sit, I guess, in cubicles or something somewhere and review files uh, all day long and, and, uh, and, uh, and make judgments about claimants' cases based on no examination, just a review of the file. So there's almost always those opinions. Frequently, uh, Social Security has asked the claimant to be examined by one or more of its uh, uh, what they call consultative examiners. And then in most cases, uh, and this is really uh, in some ways the hardest job that uh, anybody who does administrative level work like yourself really does, and that is get doctors, you know, to, uh, uh, to provide specific opinions about what the claimant's uh, limitations are. So a case might have all those opinions, uh, uh, different kinds of opinions in it. And the most typical kind of case that people know about is when 
uh, we are arguing that the ALJ did not uh, adequately evaluate the opinions or uh, didn't evaluate them correctly. In some cases, we're arguing that the ALJ didn't evaluate them at all, or sometimes, uh, you know, my favorite kind of argument is when the ALJ says, uh, for instance, that, uh, you know, I'm finding that the claimant can do this, that, and the other thing, and I base my opinion primarily on the opinion of Dr. X, and then you look at Dr. X's report, and there's like five or six things that the judge did not account for that he said mm-hmm. uh, uh, were the uh, were limitations that the claimant had. So this is an argument we end up making all the time. The judge certainly can uh, uh, accept some parts of an opinion and reject other parts. That, that goes without saying. But he can't do that without explaining why he did. Uh, he, in other words, if he picks limitations one, two, and three, but not four, five, and six, certainly inherently he has the ability to do that, but he can't reject four, five, and six and never acknowledge that he's even doing it or uh, not give a good reason for doing it. Is there a difference between what judges are looking for at district court versus what the appeals council is doing? In other words, is there qualitatively a difference in the type of review done by these two appellate level, at these two appellate levels? Well, from a standpoint of uh, uh, representation, it sure is. And, and what I mean by that is that with the appeals council, you don't typically have to spell out what all the regulations or rulings mean because uh, these guys are also, like us, uh, mm-hmm. very proficient in these things. Uh, but with district court, uh, appeals. I know that uh, we put a lot of work into shaping arguments uh, in a way that uh, that doesn't assume that the that the court understands any of this. Um, I mean, most of them uh, have a, a basic working knowledge of the basic terms that we use. Um, but uh, you know, I observed uh, a, a, an argument uh, before the Supreme Court uh, in October. Uh, on a uh, social security case that's uh, currently before the Supreme Court of the United States and watched um, members of the court, uh, the uh, uh, claimant's attorney and the agency's attorney just mash these terms and use them incorrectly. Uh, I I counted seven or eight times uh, in a 45 minute period where uh, they were using terms that sounded sort of like disability terms, but they, they're not terms we use every day at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, we do put a lot. So in that sense, it's qualitatively different because we really have to, with district court cases, walk these uh, uh, judges, in most cases, kind of step by step through what the process is that agency policy demands. Because if you don't, uh, your typical district court judge is just going to do what almost anybody else does, which is just kind of think to themselves, well, why can't this guy work? Like that's mm-hmm. the only issue, and it's not. Of course, that's the ultimate right. issue, but how you get to that finding uh, is obviously critical. Um, uh, a claimant who's 55 years old and can sit down and do a job all day long uh, can quote unquote work in the sense that most people understand, but probably is disabled under social security rules. Uh, if, uh, if for instance, uh, the work they've done in the past is uh, laborious. Um, right. And, but, but a district judge doesn't know that. 
Uh, and anybody right, so who does work up there and assumes they know that, you might as well just put a gun at their own client's head. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so that, that's just some folks that we're talking about are the grid rules that when you're in yes, 50, right. 55, that yeah, certain rules apply, that even if you can work, you could still be found disabled. And, and your point, I guess, is that the district court judges wouldn't, that's not, a, let's say, a logical conclusion, but they wouldn't necessarily know that. So you've really got to educate them is what I'm, I'm hearing you say. Right, and the other qualitative dis, uh, difference, I would say, is that um, the appeals council is rarely going to be very interested in a case where your main point is, hey, um, my three doctors that have treated me for 25 years uh, all agree that I'm disabled and gave really good opinions in explaining their, uh, their, uh, um, uh, their reasons for saying that. Uh, uh, and they're all specialists. And Social Security's doctor was a pediatrician, um, and I should win. Now, I, liked, I love that case every time. I'll take it every time. Uh, the Appeals Council rarely shows any interest in that kind of argument, but fortunately, really? most – yeah, not really, not consistently. They're not into what they call uh, reways. Uh, they, they have a – they have a uh, uh, what's a negative connotation for everything they don't like, and so they call those re only reway cases like they just look down their nose at them. Uh, again – in the history of appeals council decisions, have there been some remands based on arguments like that? Yes. Uh, are they as common as other things? Absolutely not. But in, luckily, in federal court, um, uh, you can get the district courts, most of them anyway, and certainly in Georgia where you are, uh, we've had a lot of success with this, um, uh, getting them focused on uh, this as a legitimate issue, that it has to matter. Uh, when, um, uh, when all the claimant's doctors who knew the claimant well and have specialties in the appropriate areas all said consistently what the claimant's limitations were, and the only thing opposed to that was some guy sitting in a cubicle uh, or some retired uh, obstetrician who does disability exams on the side. I mean, if that doesn't matter any more, yeah. then, uh, then I might as well just find a different line of work. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, if, if you're looking for logic in the security world, could be a could be a very long, long, long hunt. Yeah, you're not always going to find it. That's for sure. <laughs> Don't know where to begin? Get my free Secrets to Giving Approved Survival Kit. Inside the kit, I discuss such things as how do you know if you have a case, what to do if you're denied, how to avoid common mistakes, and my ever popular. How to avoid trick questions from the judge. Subscribing is free and easy. Just visit ssdanswers.com and look for the survival kit for instant access. Remember, time is eroding your position every day. Don't delay. Act now. That's ssdanswers.com for your free survival kit. Um, what is the typical time frame for a, a district yeah. court appeal? Uh, we've actually studied this uh, internally for our own selfish reasons, uh, but it also allows us to give very specific information to claimants. Um, so this is a median, all right? This is the typical time frame. This can be different in some courts, uh, and we usually know what they are. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, most of the cases 
from the date that the uh, complaint is filed in federal district court through the various steps the case has to go through to the day of the decision by the district court, the median amount of time, the typical amount of time is about 10 months. Now, the good news there is that if the claimant you know, still has insured status uh, or if it's just an SSI claim in the first place, then uh, once uh, the appeals council has issued its decision denying the request for review, then at least uh, the, uh, the administrative level attorney can get a new application going. And that, that'll help some you, also. Yeah, I was just going to yeah. ask you about that. So explain that further. So when can a, a claimant file a new application? Well, I always like to tell the history of this, you know, because, you know, both of us, I think we figured out when we were talking in the uh, other discussion about the Appeals Council have been doing this a very long time. Uh, right. You know, probably something like 50 or 60 years combined. And for right. most of the time that you and I have been doing this, uh, the claimant was able, uh, if the judge turned them down, uh, to file with the Appeals Council uh, and try to appeal the case, but at the same time filed a new application. But that all changed uh, in 2011 when Social Security decided that, well, no, we're not going to allow you to do that anymore. You have to decide. You have to decide whether you're going to appeal or file a new application. Now, I don't think that uh, that's entirely wrong-headed, um, but uh, and of course there are exceptions in in that rule. Um, but bottom line now is that the claimant uh, can't file a new application unless they establish good cause to do so until the date that the appeals council rules on their uh, appeal. Not federal court, just appeals council. Hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. Interesting. So they can file a new a new application. And should. I, I, I know should. in our own case that uh, mm -hmm. that uh, what we tell clients is, look, we're not giving up on uh, the federal court case. We're not filing this because we don't believe in it. It's just that, look, let's be practical here. Uh, I'm not sitting here telling you that you can't lose this federal court appeal and Filing a new application really just gives you two chance to choose, uh, excuse me, two chances to at least win something. Um, and this would, what, what would, what they can, they, they can do this as of the date of the appeals council uh, denial. Right, you, you get that appeals council notice in the mail. Uh, you can, the minute you have it, you can walk right down to the social security office and file your new application that day. And what, what onset date would somebody use in that situation? Well, uh, right, okay, so that, that's a, a really good question. Uh, so typically what they will tell you um, is that you should at least allege uh, the day after the ALJ denied your case. Now, sometimes I think you need to be a little bit more sophisticated than that, but that's a good enough answer for, you know, what we're doing now. And the reason that's true is because Social Security is not going to reconsider the period of time prior to the judge's decision because that decision's already been made. Now, if they're forced to reconsider it because ultimately we get 
the federal court to find that uh, or agree with us that there's mistakes in the judge's decision, then then uh, they will have the opportunity to establish their disability going all the way back to day one. Uh, but until the court does that, from Social Security's uh, point of view, uh, the case is over. I mean, it's just like, uh, uh, you know, if you're found, uh, uh, well, no, it's not like that. Sorry, I was about to use an analogy, and, and now as I thought through it, it probably would just confuse things. Bottom line is right. they're not going to reconsider their own decision, uh, right. basically, uh, to, de- to uh, deny benefits uh, on the day of the ALJ's uh, decision. So most people just... I, was just, I, I suspect Sorry. what would happen is that, that the um, that they would consult that if this appeal to the federal court was successful, they would just kind of consolidate the two cases into one. Right. So, well, that's the interesting phenomenon is that yeah. um, the amount of time it takes for the new case to mm-hmm. go through the steps coming up the ladder that I was talking about earlier um, is just about roughly equal to the amount of time it takes for the federal court case, if we're successful in it, to come back down the ladder. So it's very typical, uh, at least in our own cases. And this can vary based on region because how long things take obviously matters to this. But I know here where we practice, it's almost never not the case that our remanded case isn't consolidated, as you just uh, uh, said, uh, with the with the new application that's coming up the ladder, because they kind of meet in the middle. And of course, if you win, but the, if the, the federal court, court, but if the federal court decision is unfavorable, right. we always hate to admit that can happen, but of course it can. Then uh, that's also happening right around the time that the claimant at least has uh, an impending hearing coming up. And so it's not like they've just been sitting around doing nothing for all this time and have no options. I see. Does the federal court ever reverse and pay a case, or is it just going to remand it? There are examples of that. You know, uh, uh, the last time I saw statistics, they publish them every uh, year or two. Uh, it looked, uh, my vague recollection is that this is probably happening maybe in – three percent five percent of the cases and frankly probably most of those are uh, all the way out in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, which is Oregon Washington Hawaii and California Um, uh, they have uh, kind of their own take on all of this (laughs) out there and uh, and so some of the rules that they've crafted for judicial review of Social Security appeals are quite favorable and it's just, frankly, just to put it simply, it's just a lot easier uh, to get the court uh, to overrule a case altogether and, and reverse it and order the agency to just start paying the claimant's case. Now, Carl, but you're it's not typical. Not tip- I, would, I wouldn't think so, but I wouldn't even sure if it was even an option. Um, now, you're in Pittsburgh. Do you handle cases outside of the uh, Third Circuit? Yes, actually, uh, I handle cases everywhere. Um, we have, uh, in fact, it, it took us a while, but I think it was sometime last spring that we finally filed a case in Wyoming, and 
with that filing, we had filed a case, at least one case, in every state in the United States, and that's not even counting a couple of U.S. territories. Um, so our our practice here in Pittsburgh with the federal court uh, uh, side of things is, uh, I mean, we're all in the same office space, but we're separate from the department that uh, uh, that handles hearing level cases like uh, like you do. Uh, my wife is also my law partner, and she runs that part of the office. And my part of the office is just the appeals cases. Uh, we have uh, uh, eight uh, uh, administrative level staff and uh, seven attorneys, not counting me, uh, who are writing briefs and, and reviewing cases for appeal uh, day in and day out. That's all we do in my part of the office. Is there, is there an oral argument in these cases? Do you have to go fly into court or is it done online or how does that work uh more and more the trend is uh that i've seen over the last two years is that i'm having a lot more oral arguments in these cases than i used to and to answer your second question thankfully uh almost never do the judges dig in and uh make me actually go there if, if that were the case then it would really be a logistical nightmare but most of the judges yeah. uh, there's a very uh, good uh uh, a conference platform that the government has, and you just phone in uh, to the conference, and uh, typically each side is given like 20 minutes to make a sort of opening statement about the case, and then uh, most judges give me, who gets to go first because I'm representing the claimant, uh, a chance like five minutes or something like that to uh, to respond to anything that the government said. Uh, in their um, opening statement. And I'd say right now, I got two of them tomorrow. I would say that uh, when we first started uh, this department and, and started really getting some critical mass of cases going, that we probably were only holding uh, an oral argument uh, at most once a month, and probably months went by where we didn't have them. But now it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of an average of about five a month that we're having. Okay. Well, I don't want to keep you from preparing for your, your case, and I, I really appreciate the, the time here today. Where can our listeners find you on, online or by phone? Uh, well, a couple of ways uh, you can find us. One is that uh, our website is uh, www.mydisabilityattorney.com. Just those three words all in a row, no spaces. doesn't matter if you capitalize them all or leave them all lowercase. Uh, our toll-free number is one eight six six four three eight eight seven seven three. You can also find us. We have a very uh, vigorous presence. Uh, our company, uh, which by the way is Osterhauberger Disability Law, um, is uh, 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 on Facebook and in LinkedIn. As I mentioned, very vigorously. So that's another way that you can uh, kind of click through and find our website and our uh, contact information and stuff like that. Very good. Well, listen, Carl, I really appreciate it. This has been enlightening. I've learned several things I did not know about the federal court work. And, and again, as I've mentioned before, uh, my federal court work is is always being sent to you because uh, I, it's just something I don't have the uh, time or expertise to really become uh, proficient in. Uh, and I'm grateful for, for folks like you who do. Because, again, I think you've, really, you've mentioned a number of issues that uh, I, I really did not know about. And, again, I think our, our, our audience, I think, would find very, very enlightening. So thank you. Well, maybe you ought to have me down, Jonathan. Absolutely. 
Well, we shall we shall do that at some point. I, I think uh, you know, uh, I, uh, last last NASCAR convention, which is the National Association Social Security Claimants Representatives, was held in Atlanta, um, and I actually spoke at that. And I have the first one I've been to, uh, so I think I'm going to try to get to some of these more often, and we'll have a chance to meet in person soon. Very good. Uh, thanks okay, a lot well, for having me. By the way, I'm, I, I should just say uh, out loud so everybody can hear it that I'm really grateful uh, for the opportunity to work on the cases that you're referring to us. I, I, I always want to do that better and better, and and uh, and, uh, and I appreciate the, your trust in us uh, with those cases because we take them quite seriously. I hear you. Well, I appreciate uh, listen. I appreciate having someone qualified to refer to because uh, again, these are uh, some can become very complicated issues, and I know that uh, folks who are uh, applying for benefits, this is their life. This is really, uh, really important to, the, to these folks. And, and when they get a uh, what appears to be a decision that does not go their way that really should have, uh, it's nice to have folks who care about them and their issues uh, to get uh, justice done. As much as it absolutely, can be man. We're talking world. about roofs and food and clothing and heat. Yes, absolutely. And maybe even absolutely. a little gift, uh, extra gift for the kid on Christmas. I mean, these are these yeah, are no, th- this I, is I, just nuts I, and bolts right. stuff, man. Absolutely. I think that that's one of the things about this area that, uh, you know, a lot of folks maybe don't realize is that, you know, as attorneys, we are we have people's lives in our hand, and, and you really have to take that quite seriously because, again, if, if I was in that situation where I needed an attorney, I would expect that from, from my attorney, and I think uh, our clients expect it from us. So. And, when, and, 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 I, and I, I like working with people who take, that, take it that way because uh, it's the only, you know, I'm 60 years old now, and I still – jump out of bed in the morning and I can't figure out sometimes why that is but I think it really is that even after all this time uh, these things still matter to me a lot and uh, and it's really uh, like I say a privilege to be able to uh, do this kind of work which is really my dream job um, uh, you know when 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 the judges make mistakes and, and, and get these cases sent back and, and benefits awarded I hear you. Okay, very good. Well, listen, thanks again, and we will hopefully talk. We have some, I made some notes. We have some other possible issues we can, uh, we can address in future podcast episodes, and looking forward to doing that. So we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Take care. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this podcast useful, then please give me a five-star review because it helps others see the value of my information. Thank you in advance. For a 100% free and confidential evaluation of your case, visit ssdanswers.com. That's ssdanswers.com. Don't delay. Act now.